0: I am hosting a retreat in Tulum, Mexico, in paradise this October, called Bloom in Tulum. It's a five-day, all-inclusive, personal and professional growth retreat for ambitious, big-hearted women who are ready to step into their power with grace, support, and confidence. So my two biz besties and I dreamed up this magical retreat over sushi a few months back, and after lots of planning, it's actually happening. We have mapped out a thoughtful itinerary with lots of downtime to make the most of this beautiful paradise beachside location and also set you up for a powerful and memorable experience of growth. There's only 20 spots available and all three of us are promoting it to our full community. So that's like over 50,000 people. So I imagine the spots will fill very quickly. If you are interested in joining us, in Bloom in Tulum. Go to bloomintulum.com for all the details and to complete your application. Also know that early bird pricing ends on June 30th. So it's a really good time to secure your spot and save some money. I mean, honestly, like how fun would it be to hang out in person at a gorgeous, luxurious, all-inclusive in October? So head to Bloom in Tulum. That's B-L-O-O-M in Tulum. T U L U M. com for all the details and complete your application. You're listening to the Mindful Mama Podcast, Episode 96. Today we're talking to John Roman about becoming a front row dad. Welcome to the Mindful Mama Podcast. Here it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you are thriving, when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Field's Mindful Mama Mentor. I coach overstressed moms on how to cultivate self-awareness in their daily lives, to take family and life to a new level of peace and cooperation. I've been practicing yoga and mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting course, and I'm the mom of two girls ages 7 and 10. Thank you so much for being here today, my friend. I'm so glad you're here. If you are new to the Mindful Mama podcast, welcome. So glad you're here. I hope you enjoy this interview. We have some interviews and some solo podcasts here. And I have my recurring guests coming back once a month that you'll hear pretty soon, I'm sure. So today I'm super excited to have you listen to this Great conversation with John Roman, and he is the he is he's incredible. He's incredibly inspiring, and he made me cry a little bit. He inspires others to live life in the front row by teaching the art of moment making. He's an award-winning speaker, a number one best-selling author of the Front Row Factor, podcast host and founder of Front Row Foundation, a charity creating front row experiences for individuals who have brave life-threatening illnesses. And this was a really powerful conversation for me, and I think that you'll really enjoy it. Some of the questions and and the things we talked about are, you know, about the power of hope, the power of celebration, talking about living in the moment. And we talked about a lot of his fatherhood work and transitioning into being focused on business to focus on father fatherhood and we even talk about anger and how to take care of anger. This was a really powerful episode so I know that you will get a lot out of it. And before we dive in real quick I want to just let you know that I am it's the end of the year. If you're listening in real time it's the end of the year 2017 and I am currently taking applications for my group coaching program, the Mindful Mama Transformation Group. This is only for six women, so if you're interested in that, you can find it at Mentor slash group coaching. And I am completely booked up in my one-on-one coaching practice, so it's kind of going over to wait lists, but we will be starting again in January. And if you are interested in booking a clarity call now, which is a complimentary half hour call where we get to talk. If you book that call now, then we can lock in the 2017 prices. So I invite you to check that out over at mindfulmama slash work with me. And now on to this episode. John, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm so glad that you could be here today.
1: Hey, this is a this is a great moment. I'm excited
0: yay yay so I have already introduced you and we learned we you know as the the person behind the front row you know foundation so tell us a little bit more about what that is for the listener who has no idea what what is the front row foundation and what do you do with that
1: I'll see. That's a dangerous question for me. <laughs> like to talk, and, uh, this is my passion. So, uh, but I'll I'll attempt to share with you the short version, and then you can you can take us anywhere you want to go. Front Row Foundation is a charity that we started, uh, meaning myself and some friends in Philadelphia, just uh, just on the outskirts, a little town called Blackwood, New Jersey, and we started this in 2005 to help kids and adults who have a life-threatening illness to get a front-row experience at the event of their dreams. So this was sporting events, concerts, uh, Broadway, or any type of live performance. And then we wanted to create a community after that where they could uh, learn the life skills needed to live every day in the front row, like mindfulness. And uh, we wanted to be a little bit of a mixture between Make-A-Wish and Tony Robbins. <laughs> that was kind of my space. I, you know, I spent a lot of time in the Tony Robbins world, and I was a senior leader on his team, and I, I loved those skills. They changed my life. And then I was exposed to this community over here with the charity, and I thought, why don't we just merge those? two? We, that hadn't been done before. And why don't we create this? What we call now our front row family. Uh, and so this is—it's a wish-granting organization with a life philosophy, and that philosophy. Is about being in the front row of your life, and the front row of life is just a metaphor for getting close to the things that matter most to you, getting close to the people, getting closest to the, getting close to the places and the thoughts and the things that light us up and make us come alive. Just like why we choose to go sit front row and uh, at our favorite events because they make us come alive, and uh, you know those are moments that we cherish. Those are experiences that we cherish. And I think we can live life kind of in the back, kind of as a spectator, checked out of the event of our life, or we can step up and get close to what matters most. And that's what we want to help people do. We want to help people be in the front row of their life. We want to help people be moment makers because we all have this certain number of moments in our lives. And our job is to make the most of them. You know, we didn't do anything to earn or deserve this day. I mean, even if we wear our seatbelt and eat healthy and take care of ourselves, take care of our kids, uh, these days are gifts that we get. And our our goal is to maximize the moments. You know, in our dad's community, we always say that when when your child's born until they're 18, you have 936 weekends, uh, roughly. And so Mm -hmm. in every one that goes by that you'll never get that back. So that's what we do, that's the mission. And so now I write about it, speak about it, run the charity, do the podcast, and that's the world.
0: Wow, wow, that's so cool. So, can you share uh, a story of somebody who has, you know, a child who has had a life-threatening illness who has gone what and what what event they chose, and then what happened to them afterwards?
1: it's this is uh yeah i could share a hundred of them <laughs> um it's so difficult to pick but i let me share one and maybe even a couple because i think there's different lessons from them and i'm sure we'll get to those in the show but you know one that is very early on for me that solidified my passion for what we do here was a, a little girl that we met who was 4 her name is sophie and she lived just outside of Philadelphia. A friend of mine was a friend of her family's uh, her mom, sophie's mom lauren and he came to me and he said, "Hey, this little girl, she's so sweet, and she's battling for her life. she has this brain tumor um, and it's just a really tough situation for of course everybody not you know not only the recipient uh the person that's battling it, but everybody uh, you know um, uh, that that's uh, involved, the family and when I first heard that uh, she was a... I said, oh, but my question was, of course, like, well, what event would she want to see? And he said, she's a huge Kelly Clarkson fan. Now, I didn't have kids at the time, but I was like, at four, how big of a fan could you really be? <laughs> and we talked to the mom, Lauren, who's now is a close personal friend of ours. And we see them, com- communicate with them, talk with them and have for now over a decade. But um, her mom said, my daughter knows all the words to all the songs. If we get in the car and we don't play Kelly Clarkson, she cries until we do. And she is a massive fan. And I was like, we have to do this. So we created this event where we took Sophie and we took her to the Rainforest Cafe and in a limousine. And it was her, her sister, brother, her grandparents. Um, you know, It was everybody there and our event hosts. And one of the things that was super special was that during the show... Kelly knew, we had got word to Kelly, she knew that Sophie was there and found her in the crowd and gave her a little shout out, you know, uh, you know a little, little point in the crowd to say, I see you. And that was like a magic moment.
2: Yeah. And
1: uh, for Sophie, it could have all been over at that point. But what she didn't know was that our good friend, John Rulin, who has been a moment maker many times over for our charity by opening up doors and offering connections and making introductions uh, he, he set up a meet and greet with Kelly. So we got backstage and we took Sophie back there and Sophie was so tired. It was late at night, exhausted. You know, she was not, she was fighting for her life at this point too. So keep that in mind. And she was, uh, you know, almost falling asleep in her mother's arms we thought she was asleep. And then Kelly walks in and goes, Hey y'all. And little Sophie just wakes up, turns around, they lock eyes. And when they lock eyes, we have this picture and that picture is hanging two feet from where I stand right now talking to you and has hung on my wall ever since then for now a decade. Um, And when I look at that picture, uh, I'm reminded of why we do what we do and the power of moments, you know, the power of these little moments. We often say that these, these micro moments lead to mega movements in our lives and these These movements, like for me, this has become a passion for life um, because you see that impact. You hear somebody say, I was able to forget about cancer for the day. You hear somebody say, I love Front Row because um, you celebrate uh, life year in and year out for your recipients. And one half of our recipients pass away after their Mm -hmm. event. One half go on to make a full recovery, but we celebrate both. Um, We celebrate the life of people, uh, whether they're with us or not. And Sophie, um, you know, the, the part that I I hate talking about um, in this story is that, you know, about a month after her event, you know, that was that was it for Sophie. We lost mm-hmm. her. Wow. And, um, you know, one of my okay. best friends now in the world, his name is John Burgoff, his his wife Mara Burgoff, they were the event hosts. We send people to take pictures and video and get food and make sure all the details are handled. And, um, John told a story recently that I didn't even know this until a couple years ago. And that is that John went to the funeral after the event. He was invited to the funeral because our, our, we become like family with our recipients
2: mm-hmm. and
1: John went to the funeral and he said, he walked up and he looked at Sophie laying in the, the casket and, she, uh, her mom, Lauren had laid the VIP pass that got oh. her backstage on Sophie's body. Oh my and that 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 image, that memory, that moment, uh, the connection with her family, um, even to this day, I will tell you that I was in South Jersey at a restaurant uh, two years ago. And I walked in and I saw Lauren, Sophie's mom. She was there. And I just happened to be wearing our charity's t-shirt, which had... Uh, all the names of all the recipients for a decade that we had done. And as soon as I walked in, she saw me, I was wearing the shirt. And she immediately gave me this huge hug. And she's like, I just, my greatest fear was that people would forget about Sophie and you've helped keep her memory alive. And for that, thank you. And she just gave me a big hug and she told everybody it was around us about the charity and about how, why her daughter's name is on my shirt. And um, that's, that's the story that comes to mind. And there's, you know, uh, yeah. you know I share that with you. And it's, I, I, I like, I love telling the story and I don't love telling the story for for the obvious reasons. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's, I don't love telling it because it has a, a sad ending, if you will. Um, yeah. I do love telling it because um, I love that we, we've been able to make this connection with the family. Uh, we've been able to serve in a way that feels meaningful. You know, and I think that's the way, that's the way giving works, right? Like I think people often. You know, I've I've been challenged over the years. They'll say, "How do you how do you create these front row events when like somebody out there is like uh, doesn't have clean water?" And I'd say if if you're asking me to compare whether or not I should give somebody a glass of water that doesn't have any to going to a front row event, I, I can't I can't tell you that the event is more important than that. If you do the direct comparison, what I can tell you is that I love the thought, and it was said by Howard Thurman. Don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and go do that because what the world needs is for people who've come alive. And our piece of the puzzle is this piece. And somebody is supposed to dig the wells for the water. Somebody is supposed to fly the planes. Mm -hmm. Somebody is supposed to um, teach in, in schools. Somebody is supposed to be a doctor. Somebody is supposed to be a podcast host. Somebody is supposed to teach mindful mamas. And we're all supposed to play our role. And so that's... The role that I play is helping people be moment makers and to celebrate life and to have hope and to have celebration and to be able to live in the moment all the way through.
0: We are supported by Melon Headwear. These hats are perfect for Father's Day. They are built to be in and around water. They last five times longer than any other hat. They're naturally antimicrobial properties. It doesn't, sweat doesn't break down the hat. No sweat stains, no smell ever. It's built for the water. We tested it tubing on the Brandywine River and it was fabulous. It even floats when it drops in the water. It doesn't lose shape. It is amazing and incredible, comfortable fit. Use code MINDFUL at checkout for 30% off your order. If you're trying to figure out a Father's Day gift, honestly, trust me, this is exactly what they want. Go to melon.com, that's M-E-L-I-N.com, and use the code MINDFUL at checkout for 30% off. Melon rarely offers discounts, so don't miss this opportunity. It is, I swear, the perfect Father's Day gift. Premium headwear, melon.com, use the code MINDFUL for 30% off. We are sponsored by Midi Health. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, vaginal dryness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. All of these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around perimenopause and menopause, and the experts at MIDI Health understand what you're experiencing and how to help. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA approved solutions. MidiCare is covered by insurance, and with MIDI Health, you can stop pushing through it all alone. Schedule a virtual visit to discuss your symptoms and health background in depth. You'll come out of the experience feeling heard and with a plan to start feeling better. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Joinmidi.com. Oh, my God. I'm, my heart, that's an intense, intense, incredible story, John. I mean, that's amazing that you have created this, not only this work for yourself, right, where you get to thrive and you get to come alive and do this work, but that it can impact people in such a huge way. I mean, to make, um, I I just feel really choked up that, you, you know, you get to make these moments for people that you know, that, and, and for, for you to, and I really appreciate also, it's funny, like you guys are, I don't usually cry on the podcast. (laughs) Thanks. Okay. Let it go. Let it go. It's good. But, um, But it's funny because I do actually mention, like, I'm my my recurring guest Carlo jokes with me a lot that I'm very morbid because I mention death a lot because I think that and I'm I think that what I'm seeing and also the work that you do and what you're the way you're kind of showing up in the world with this is that this your work is a memento mori every single day. You know, that's what they call it in the art world is a memento mori when there's a reminder of death in a painting or a piece of art. And the reminder of death and the the way, you know, and they also do that in the in spiritual traditions, just reminding us of death is just, I think, is the most powerful way to embrace life, right? To remember that this little stuff that we are worried about is so point you know to just remind ourselves again and again and again because we forget We're that's natural but to remind ourselves that this is precious that this breath is precious that walking on the earth is a miracle you know um
1: that's right yeah i you nailed it um it, that is exactly it and i wrote about this in the book uh, i i had i was actually going to include this in the subtitle of the book in the beginning i was going to write about how, you know, I was going to include the word death and somehow, some way in the title, because to me, I started this to be a giver and to be a moment maker for other people. But I didn't predict that I would be one of the biggest beneficiaries of this work by being reminded at all times that our days are gifts and that we didn't earn them and we don't deserve them. It is a gift for us um, that is to be cherished. And it wasn't until, you know, all these experiences and all these you know, reminders of how finite our time is here, depending on your beliefs and whether or not there's an afterlife and all that. The point is there's an end to this part, right? To this ride. And that is to be cherished. And because there's a finite amount, it has value more so because we acknowledge death. It has more value. The reason that gold is worth something or diamonds is because there's a finite amount. And with, with time, you know, I pulled out this, this journal one time on an airplane when when I had young kids and I was getting very aware to the fact that I wasn't in control. And like, if this plane went down, that would be it. Like that would, I would, the ride would be over. And I remember pulling out a journal and thinking about my life. I put a a little dot on the left side. It said birth. On the right side, it said death. And I said, let me just imagine for a moment that I live to be a hundred. And let's say that 80 of those years are great years where I could do anything where was I at the moment was at about age 37. And I put a little dot there and I just saw the whole thing. And to me, that was my wake up call. That was the the moment where the finite ending or the finite piece of this doesn't terrify me, doesn't paralyze me. It motivates me. That mortality Hmm. creates vitality because it reminds me of how much it matters. So uh, yeah, it's, it truly, it's never easy, right? It's but I'm always like, go for meaningful, not easy, right? Like yeah. search for meaning, not not uh, not what's easy. And yeah. This is this is meaningful work. You
0: know? yeah. That's amazing. And I love it. And and, the t- and your book, which I want people to check out, is called The Front Row Factor, Transform Your Life with the Art of Moment Making. And I think it's on its way to my house. I haven't gotten to see it, but I'm excited because this is kind of a...
1: It is. The team is this, on it. Yes. This
0: is like I get to talk to you about it beforehand. So that's totally fine. Um, yeah. So you have created this work where you... It, To me, it's amazing that you're able to, how how did the whole Front Row Factor start? Like how does one create a charity where you're able to, to do this. I mean, I don't, yeah. you know, I don't want to spend our whole conversation on this, but I think it's just, a, I'm just incredibly curious about how, how do you go about starting to do something like that?
1: Luckily, I've practiced this answer, this answer over the years. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I can, I can <laughs> sum it up pretty well. There, there were, the, the way it starts is there were three things that happened in my life at the same time. And this are, these are relevant to your listeners. So, so everybody can play along here. The first one was when Tony Robbins would ask in our community, um, about where you're contributing in the world and how do you feel about that? And how would you rate yourself? And it was an evaluation and a vision, right? For me, I didn't, when I was asked the question of how I was contributing to the world, I didn't like the way I felt about that. I didn't, felt there was more there for me. So that was, that was, a, 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 that was a question that was seated in my mind, how would I contribute to the world? The second thing that happened, this all happened around in the same period of a few months, Second thing that happened was I went to a Jason Mraz concert in Philly at the Kimmel Center on my birthday, uh, and it was 2005, and I remember sitting in the back row, and I looked to the front row, and I saw this group of ladies having the time of their life, right? And I remember looking in the back, and I saw people kind of checked out, and then it hit me. I was like, same moment, drastically different experiences. Same moment drastically different experiences. And I was like, wow, you could really just be a spectator of life checked out in the back, or you could be upfront, fully engaged, participating. Mm-hmm. And you are a participant when you're that way. You don't have to be on stage all the time. In fact, that was a, a clarification that I had, which is that you know we, we, we oftentimes hear the get in the game analogy. Nothing wrong with that, right? I'm all about it. I love playing the game. But we we almost put down being on the sidelines. Like, like people will put down the idea when I say you're a participant in the front row. They're like, ah, you're still a you're still a spectator. And I go, ask any <laughs> band if they if they feel like their front row is a participant in the experience. I said, the best fans get the best show. Hell yeah! And I believe that we we shouldn't go through our life always asking ourselves, how can I play the game? How can I be the star? How can I be the celebrity? How can I? Trust I'm a, I'm a professional speaker. I love being on stage. I love being the center of attention. I love being the star. But I, that doesn't mean that I need to be there all the time. In fact, the front row philosophy is about showing up for other people. It's about lifting others up. It's making somebody else the rock star. It's not, it's not asking yourself always like, who's in your front row cheering you on? Which is a great question. But it's also about whose front row are you in? Who are you cheering mm-hmm. on? So mm-hmm. this was all very clear to me, right? So this, this thought. Then the third thing happened. Which is that my buddy challenged me to run an ultra marathon, which was a 52 mile run. And I wasn't a runner. And I remember telling him, (laughs) no. I was like, flat out, heck no. I think I probably (laughs) used some stronger language than that. But I was like, I'm not a runner. I have bad knees. I did gymnastics and karate when I was a kid. Everybody told me I had bad knees. And I had this identity that I'm not a runner. But I was also in the place of my life of questioning old limiting beliefs. So I said, I'm in. Now, I don't know, I don't know what that actually, like I I was like, I I didn't even know the first thing. I'd never run a half marathon. I'd never run a full marathon. And I said yes to a 52 mile marathon. And and by the way, this was in 16 weeks.
0: Oh my God.
1: He wanted to run it in 16 weeks. If you Google running a marathon, it's like you need like a year to train. So here's what happened. Short story is, uh, the short story in the end is that we did it, we did it. But let me tell you what happened along the way. The magic was along one of our runs, our training runs, it was right around uh, Fairmount Park in Philadelphia that my buddy Jamie and I were talking and we said, we should raise money for a charity. With this run, we should like, that's what you do, right? Isn't that what you're supposed to do? And then we said, wait a minute, what if we started a charity? What would your perfect charity look like? What would you do? And then I said, well, what's our greatest fear and our greatest love? Because if you can tap into that, if you know what that is, what you want to move towards and what you want to move away from, you'll know an ever, never ending fuel for your life. And I said, my, my greatest love is moments with friends, experiences where we can tell those stories for life. Hmm. And I want to live a life full and rich of experiences. And my greatest fear is having that cut short. And so I said, um, you know, what if we help people who are fighting for their life to have the best day of their life and then to live the best life imaginable uh, for as many days as they get? And that was the day Front Row Foundation was born. And then from there, I will tell you something that I think is very really appealing. People often ask, like, how do you start a charity? And I go, starting it is easy for a thousand bucks on legal Zoom, you can file <laughs> the paperwork and in about three months, you're probably going to get a notice that says, guess what? You're a charity. <laughs> Getting to be a charity is a piece of cake. Uh, actually doing the charity work is a whole other game. And that became a 12 year learning cycle for us. Oh. But, but I think what's relevant to your audience is this. It's, it's, Number one is asking, how do you rate yourself on how you're contributing to the world right now? And what do you want that to look like? And then asking yourself, are you a spectator of life in the back or are you a participant up front and are you lifting others up right now? Mm -hmm. And then number three is what's your greatest fear and what's your greatest love? And it's okay to know what those are. It's okay to know what you don't want and what you do want because your not to-do list is as important as your to-do list. And when you get clear about some of those things, I think you start to find your way into, into a life that you love.
0: Hmm. Wow. Wow. That's an amazing story. I mean, uh, I love that you're doing that. And I, you know, I'm one of these people who I, I never could like, I, I never, I never had it in me to sort of like conform to, <laughs> to a regular job. And I always had to, to, to do the, like, I always had to do sort of the hard thing. And I don't know, or I had to, I always had to sort of follow my passion. I felt like it was, it was killing me, you know, to do something that, um that wasn't, that wasn't that. And and amazingly, I've and and with great persistence, I've been able to create a, a, you know, a a livable income and, and support my family and things on that, which is amazing. And I'm so thrilled about, but it, and I really do, believe that you know, I, I do believe in that quote, like that the world does need people to come alive and, and do what they want to do. And it's just um, you know, that that is such a, a rabbit hole of, of issues that we could go into sure, about definitely. you know, why why that is, but oh, that's amazing. I I love that, John. I love that you have, you know, helped yourself come alive and they and helped other people come alive with the experience and to have these optimal amazing experiences where they can be truly present and they can be truly appreciating you know these incredible things in life that's rocks that rocks you know, rock on
1: <laughs> thank awesome.
0: you um yeah 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 and and you have taken this front row fa- foundation and it's, it's grown into so many things and it's still supporting, uh, children and, and, and also you've taken it and you've taken these lessons and now you're sharing these lessons with the world.
1: That's right.
0: Awesome. Yeah. We,
1: We say when we wrote the book and we were looking and looking and looking for like, how do you sum this book up in one sentence? Like, wow, what is that? And we struggled for a year to try to do that. And finally it hit us. It was, it was this, it was that this book is everything you can learn about living life from people fighting for it. And Mm. that's what it was. We looked back and we were just like, wow, what, what, what did these people teach us? And there's so many of those lessons. In fact, can I, can I share a couple with your audience? Hell yeah. Because I think this is, this, is actually, this is a part when I think about what's super relevant to, especially parents, especially mamas, especially mindful mamas and anybody, right? it doesn't matter who you are listening to this. There was, when we looked back and we were looking for the pattern, we were looking for what's working here. We were looking for, why is this so powerful? Why is this moving people? And there were, there were three forces at work that we noticed. And it wasn't until a decade in that we, we put this together. The first one was the power of hope and hope is the power of bringing future moments into this one. Mm. So I want to say that again, because I think that's really important is that hope is the power of bringing future moments into this one. And I'll give you an example of how this worked. So one of our recipients, Thomas Kay, was a young man from Canada who was an avid rugby player and the picture of health. And very quickly, he was in a wheelchair, uh, losing his eyesight and fighting for his life. It would seem to be overnight. And we knew that Thomas wanted to go see the Rugby World Cup in New Zealand. So we raised the money, we bought the tickets, we unveiled it to him that he was going to be doing this, and he was super excited. But what we found out later was that his family told us that when Thomas went to physical therapy, it was like he was a new man. He had a new mission and he would say that he needed to be able to stand for the national anthem at his game. Mm -hmm. So the power of that future moment brought power to his present moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that we can never underestimate the power of hope. And I think it's important for people to also understand that hope, I think, is very different than wishful thinking. Wishful thinking says, I wish things were different. Hope says, I make the difference.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. We Mm -hmm.
1: saw that, right? We saw that at play. The second thing that we saw, the second force that was at work, was celebration. And celebration is the art of using past moments. To bring power to this one. So to celebrate, we, we, di- we underestimated what it would be like for our recipients to get their photo books and their albums and to share them with their friends and to relive the memory. We were really focused on the day in the beginning. We didn't see fully the power and the potential of that celebration piece until later. And one of the stories that really, man, got to me like straight to the heart was this story of of a young man named Mike who was 16 by age, but because of all the challenges that he faced, he was developmentally at about age nine. Wow. And he was was a super fan of like anything pirates. So Pirates of the Caribbean, anything pirates. We found that there was this pirate show in Myrtle Beach. It was like the best pirate show that we could find. And Mike had never been on an airplane which he did with our event. He'd never been in a hotel, which he did for a first. He never saw the ocean, which he did at this event. And it was a day, we would never ridden in a limo and he did at this event. It was a day of firsts and he was so fired up. Like the videos, it's just great. And all these, by the way, are all the stories, all the pictures, all the video, everything I'm saying is all at our website. Um, Frontrowfoundation.org is the site if anybody wants to go look at it. But but we, what, what the, the most powerful part of this story was what happened afterwards, which is when Mike got home, he was really struggling, really fighting for his life. And one of our event directors and also a friend and a former board member and just a wonderful human being, Kerry Smolenski, who lives in Chicago, he's got such a big heart. He went to go see the family in the hospital. Not required. We didn't ask him to. He just knew it was the right thing to do. Went to the hospital, saw the family. And he, he called me and he said, hey man, I, when I walked into the room, I saw Mike there and he was like hooked up to all these tubes like out of every single part of his body. And he was sitting there with his photo album from his front row event and he was just flipping through the pictures and he was just looking at it. And that's when it hit me that what we do extends beyond the day. This isn't just about giving somebody tickets for an hour to go see a show. This is about affecting their future their past, and every piece of it. Um, and so so hope and celebration were really clear. And then what we recognized, and it was actually from the words of a recipient, her name was Melissa Weaver, and we sent her to go see Sarah McLaughlin, And that was mm-hmm. a really special show. She was a woman who was a mom and lives in Richmond, Virginia. Sweet, sweet soul. Wonderful human. Um, yeah, the uh, well, she has a mama's group, what they call them, the... Uh, something like the, it's like the eight mamas or something, but they, they, they have a mama's group. It's really special. And she said to me that what front row really taught her was how to live in the moment Mm. that she hadn't been doing that, that she wasn't being fully present, that she had spent a lot of her life, not being in the moment. And that after her front row event, she committed and vowed to be in the moment and to have experiences more in life and not to chase the things that we think make us happy, but the things that truly bring joy and love into our life. And those are the experiences with people we love. And so what we recognized was that while hope brings future moments right into this one and celebration brings past moments into this one, the whole game is about being present in the moment. So when you talk about mindfulness like you're mm-hmm. speaking directly to my heart because I think that's the way it's all built like my, I've, I I I've, I I I have a fascination with mindfulness because I feel like that's the key to not letting life slip by unnoticed, unappreciated, uncelebrated, right? Um, and, and, and I feel like that's where it all comes to. So we're just have this swinging pendulum of looking into the future and looking into the past and, and constantly moving in and out of the present moment. And the more that we can find that center place and the more that we can be in the moment, we realize that hope brings presence, celebration brings presence. And it's all Mm -hmm. about being, being here now for the time that we have.
0: Yeah. This is the only moment that life can be lived is this that's moment, right. you know? Um, I love that. Hope is, um, hope is my, um, youngest daughter's middle name. Uh, <laughs> awesome. It's, um, so cool. yeah, that's actually, uh, I grew up in Rhode Island. It happens to be the state motto of Rhode Island. Is that right? Yes. You didn't know that, did you? That's cool. Uh, we yeah. Learn something every day. Yeah, you do. Um, I love that. Um, that these this is bringing people in the present moment. It's interesting because as you talked about these three four, these three forces at work. You know, for me coming from that mindfulness background and see, you know, thinking about you know the future and then bringing the past into this one. But you're right; it really is about um, taking that energy of the past and 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 excitement of the past and bringing it into this moment. Um, and it, it is about. Being present and, and, um, yeah, and, and just that whole idea of like allowing people to, or, or coming back to, in, you know, being present in the moment and in that appreciation. It's all, it's all in there. It's all in there. That's so cool. So as you did this work and these huge life lessons kind of came to you and these, you know, these big um, reminders of death and these incredible stories of, of people um, and you yourself, you're a dad and this was like one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you for the mindful mama podcast is because you're running um, retreats for men, and and father's retreats and um, talking about best practices in fatherhood. And I think this is so exciting because, so I, I teach this, I teach a mindful parenting course and we talk about, Mindfulness. We talk about skillful communication, and one of the biggest um, challenges people have is uh, with my partner. You know, how do I how do I talk to him? How do I let him know that when he's, when he's threatening the kids that uh, this is this is really harming the relationship? Like, and how how do I work on myself while my partner is? You know, this kind of thing. And it's it's really um, it's really one of the biggest challenges. And I love that you're doing this work with fatherhood, and I'm wondering how you decided to do this and how you decided to do some work with fatherhood in your
2: own life. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Lynn,
3: this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks.
2: You've come to the right
3: place. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> it's, it's so fun. The evolution of one's business or mission and how it all comes together. Um, I didn't see this one coming. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was making a living as a keynote speaker and I was giving 40 plus keynote presentations a year and wow. loved it. And I still do, but just not as many. Um, I just charge more and do less what happened was, there's actually a reason why I do less now. And it's actually part of the story. Two years ago, I was at a party and somebody had said, um, hey, what do you do? And I immediately went into like, I'm a speaker, I'm a coach, I run this charity. And then I paused and I cut myself off. And I was like, wait a minute. I go, what I do is I'm a, I'm a father and I'm a husband. Now, when I'm not doing that, I happen to be a, a speaker and a coach and run this charity but it was that shift mm. that made a huge difference in the way I thought about my life. See, I used to be a businessman with a family and now I'm a family man with a business.
3: Mm-hmm. And to
1: me that was like that was a that was a turning point moment where I was like wait a minute, I'm failing in this department. So I started looking at my life a little bit. I started, I went to, I remember opening up within a day of that encounter. I opened up my computer and looking at all my files, right? And I said, oh, I've got a file for Front Row Foundation. I've got a file for taxes. I've got a file for all these things in my life, right? Like book reviews and the next visit, whatever project it was. And I was like, wait a minute, there's no family file. I literally spend days planning our future fundraiser for Front Row Foundation, but I haven't spent days planning our family life. I haven't taken that time. Mm -hmm. And I thought that's, that's something's wrong. And if your calendar is a reflection of your values, man, I had invested that year in a speaking course to become a better speaker, I paid like 25,000 bucks to go to this course. I, I went to another conference called mastermind talks. And then I went to another conference and I, I did these things and I was like, well, I'm growing myself over here and I'm growing my business over here, but where's the dad stuff? Not doing it. Like, where's the better husband, better dad wasn't there. So I thought, how do I like to learn? I'd like to learn from, from immersion experiences. I believe in the philosophy and that old quote of, you know, if you ask the woodsman you know, to chop down these trees, what would his strategy be? He's like, I'd spend the most of the time sharpening the ax, right? And I love that idea of retreating to advance. I, I, I've benefited from it in every, every other area of my life. So I started looking for dad stuff. Now I know guys in the space and I know some dad experts that they do amazing work. But they didn't have the retreat that I craved, the size of the retreat, the type of guys. And so I said, I have this skill set. I've done this for years. I'm gonna create the event I want to attend. And that's what it was. It was October of 2016. We ran our first retreat. 30 guys came together and it was mostly kind of entrepreneur, mostly entrepreneurial minded or spirited people. So a lot of you know, uh, self-employed business owners, coaches, authors, speakers, you know, people in that space, real estate investors. But now we have a lot of different people in the group. We have a neurosurgeon, we have a, uh, you know, a, a, psych- a psychologist, we have all different types of people. We have guys that are retired, uh, all different types of people. But the one thing that's tr- pure about this group, they're true about this group is that there are three things they stand for. And I think this is important too, for your listeners, they stand for uh, brotherhood, Creating a community of people that, that are like-minded, like-hearted. We, they believe in shared strategies. So we always talk about best practices you know, in, our, in our workshops. And uh, the, the cream rises to the top. You know, we vote up best ideas. And then it's all about um, purpose. Deepening our sense of purpose as fathers, because that purpose pulls us forward. Reconnecting to the purpose, and uh, you know, while it's always there, we can lose sight of that. We can lose attachment to that. We can lose our way. of Why does this matter so much? And so, to get that time has been very, very powerful. That's that's the group, and that's what we do.
0: That's so that's so cool. And so, how has this learning um, and and stuff about fatherhood shifted in your own life and your own experiences with your yeah. your kids?
1: Well, two things. One is, um, you know, I said, uh, Tatiana, my wife said to me know, months ago, she said, you're, you've been massively impacted by the front row dads. I can tell, you know, like she could see it. Uh, and I had a front row dad call me out, which was great. We had a, a wonderful lunch. He's a friend of mine. And, um, you know, I remember talking to him and saying, Hey, what, what makes a great friend? And we were like, we both agreed, honesty, right? Like telling you something that maybe other people don't want to tell you. And I said to my friend, I said, tell me something nobody wants to tell me. And he says, I don't think you spend enough time with your kids. Hmm. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, like <laughs> wow. it was really? That's, that's like, a
0: hard thing to hear.
1: <laughs> I pride myself on being an engaged father, but like, there was like, I was actually selling myself that I was doing an awesome job. And he had the courage to tell me I wasn't. And I asked myself, what would really stepping up look like? And right about that time, my wife was going, she had a relative in Russia. She's from Siberia. And my wife um, came to me and said, my, my aunt's really sick. I think I need to go, right? Like I need to go now. And I said, it was right in that moment that in the past, I would have been like, oh, we got to figure out the kid thing. And you know, I'm really nervous about the business and blah, 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 blah. And I just looked at her and I said, totally do it. Take any amount of time you need. I totally got the kids. And she went for two weeks and I had the kids, both boys by myself for two weeks. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was in those two weeks that I learned what that really meant to be an engaged dad. I've, I, I never would have predicted that I could have had a massive improvement in the relationship with my boys. I never would have told you that. And at the end of the two weeks, I was like, Tatiana needs to leave again at some point for me <laughs> to be fully responsible for these boys from morning, noon, and night. Because not only did I learn to appreciate her more, but I learned to appreciate my boys. I connected with them on a real deep level. We bonded and it was it was great. And I, I wouldn't have happened without the front row dads and our conversations and this, this opportunity to really step up because I'm surrounded by, in the group, we have 50 guys and I'm surrounded by 50 amazing dads. Like some of these guys, like they're amazing fathers. And it wasn't until I saw them interacting and you know and sharing and telling me what they're doing and I, that I really got challenged, you know, to up my game because I do have like a healthy competitive side to myself. <laughs> I am I am influenced by the people around me. I am, I, you know, it's fact. It's so I'm like, this is good. And my wife would say that. And at, you know, one of my best friends is a, a guy named Hal Elrod. He wrote a book called The Miracle He Morning.
0: was on the podcast. Was he really? Way earlier, yeah. Uh-huh. That's
1: awesome. So <laughs> Hal is one of my best friends. And um, we have a shared event together in California every year. It's the Best Year Ever Blueprint and Front Row Celebration. And um, this year, as you know, Hal fought cancer. Mm-hmm. He had acute mm-hmm. lymphoblastic leukemia. He's our number one donor. A portion of all the Miracle Morning book sales support Front Row Foundation. And he became a recipient this year. Wow. Um, and it was during this time when we were talking at the event about his recipient experience. And we were telling the audience about front row dads and how we're in, you know, how we're all connected. How is a front row dad and his wife, Ursula grabs the mic and goes, Hey, I just got to say something that, uh. You know, I think everybody in here, women, you should send your men to the front row dad's retreat because <laughs> Hal came back a totally different guy <laughs> uh, a totally different dad, and um, I think that's really cool when guys can like even like hal, who's literally world famous author, very accomplished guy, and a super dad, still had room to grow
0: that's so cool so. I love that. Um and one thing one of the things that we talk about a lot in mindful parenting and in the mindful mama community is one of the things that for women is really hard for uh, for women to talk about and speak about and have a lot of shame about is anger is our anger and how we get triggered at our kids yelling at our kids and there's really no um, there's it's, it's almost like it's almost it's, you know, it's, it's changing, but it, for many women, it's almost unspeakable. And, and, that, and so we talk about our anger in the mindful parenting group and, and the work that we do. And we talk about our triggers and how to take care of that and how to reduce our reactivity and things like that. So I'm wondering about in your Front Row Dads group, and have you talked about your triggers and your anger and what what has strategies have you guys come up with that, that have to you know, if you have to to take care of your anger,
1: yeah, th- this is a this is definitely a big one. And mm-hmm. even at our last retreat, um, managing our emotions mm-hmm. was a whole topic around that. Like how how do we manage our emotions? And I think that's a really that's a really big topic. And there's yeah. a lot of different <laughs> strat- there's a lot of strategies around it there really is. And you could go and the guys have shared tons of ideas. Um, I could literally choose from a hundred. And interestingly, they're all connected and some more obvious than not. Right. Cause it's almost like when you get to, why is that anger showing up? Right. And uh, sometimes it's literally like people aren't sleeping enough and they need more sleep. And when they get more sleep, it solves the problem. They're just not as angry. Sometimes it's literally their diet. You know, they, we've had, we've had discussions around gluten and how that affects people and their, their tolerance and their emotions, you know? Um, so it could be diet related. Certainly if somebody has got a drinking problem or they're drinking too much, or they're eating a lot of sugars and they've got these massive spikes in their bodies going crazy, that affects our emotions, right? We Absolutely. talk, we talk about um, personal care from a, how are you taking care of yourself uh, by just getting time? pulling over the car on the way home and getting 10 minutes, you know, to decompress, having some type of transition routine. I work upstairs in my office and I can be at my children's toes in 32 seconds. So how do I give myself transition time? What does my schedule look like? Um, We talk a lot about the miracle morning because that's Hal's thing and he's part of our group. And we talk about how when I wake up with the kids, it's a bad start right from the get-go mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm still trying to get going and they need something right away. But if I wake up an hour before them and I take time and I get a cup of coffee or I stretch or I read a little book or I, I look at my calendar for the day, when my kids all of a sudden wake up and come down. I'm like, hey, buddy, I'm ready for you. Right? Like, there's, I've noticed that just by providing an hour extra in the morning my anger in the morning was removed completely. Mm-hmm. That, that, was, that, was, that handled it 100%. The other thing that helped, and our dads have talked about this, is when you're out of work, you're really out of work we think we're good multitaskers but we're not and when you when you get you get a lot of times we get frustrated because we're trying to do three things and our kids need our attention and some of those things are important you know and it's just hard being a parent you know and that's hard it's just you're going to get angry sometimes but some of those things you could just avoid like um, one of our one of our guys brought up at our first retreat which is he goes we have a gun safe and we don't own a gun but what we do put in the gun safe as a ceremony every night is the cell phones? So we pull out the gun safe. <laughs> my kids walk over with my cell phone. They put it in the safe. We lock it up, and I don't touch it until the next morning.
0: <laughs> That's great.
1: You know, and some people would say, "Well, I can't do that." And listen, yeah. this doesn't apply to everybody. You have to you have to use the tools that work for you. But the um, reality is that yeah, you might not be able to do it until you set your life up so that people know that you're not going to be checking your phone. And yeah, they'll text you sometime and something will happen, but they'll eventually learn that you're checked out, that you're with family. Mm -hmm. So I think there's all these different types of strategies that help us to reduce anger. um, And and they all work in different ways. You know, they all work differently for different people. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think sometimes it's also, I've learned this too. This was a big one for me recently was that whoever's the person who's least triggered is responsible for that conversation. Mm -hmm. So if it, you know, like for me and my wife, as an example, like a lot of times anger isn't about with our, just our kids, it's actually the parents are fighting and then it translates over into the kids, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it spills over into the kid conversation or because we've been so tested in our marriage or our relationship that then we have very little to deal and tolerate with our children when they enter the picture. So one of the things that I've learned and has been really helpful for me is that when two people are triggered the person who is the least triggered <laughs> is now responsible for that conversation is mm-hmm. responsible to heal that conversation to be a listener for the other person to put their needs on a shelf right I learned this from my counselor Tess she's wonderful and she says you know you just hey it's not that your needs aren't important you just put them on a shelf because you're the most conscious person in that moment mm-hmm. and your job is to lead versus like sometimes our anger is like, you're not listening to me. You don't hear my point. You're not doing what I'm saying versus a lot of times with anger, if we can like just consciously practice this in advance so that when the time comes, you'll be better at it, is to just imagine yourself just taking your literally like with your hand, like take your needs and your point and your point of view and your your, all your righteousness and put it on a shelf next to you, right? and say, I'll come back to that. It's valid. It's important. I'll address it, but I'm just not going to address it now because there's nothing I'm going to say when people are angry that's going to settle in. And Mm -hmm. what's interesting is that my anger was was handled a lot more with that strategy because I didn't feel the need to make my point all the time. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes anger is when people don't do what we say to do or don't, right? And it's like, Mm -hmm. we go into a dictatorship mode versus a listening mode. Mm -hmm. And when we listen, we connect. And when we connect, we can then move somebody. Until you match and mirror somebody's energy, connect with them, build a rapport, if they feel heard, witnessed, healed, then you can move them. But whoever's got the higher level of consciousness, whoever's the least triggered, it's their responsibility to move the dialogue. And I think those are some of the things that we've talked about, some of the things we've explored around the topic of anger.
0: I love that. Of uh, what you said about when we listen we connect and when we connect we can move somebody and that uh and you're absolutely right the person who's least triggered and and hopefully you know hopefully for us like as the adults we can be <laughs> the, the least triggered right? <laughs> hopefully totally. you know and we can then uh, that, that's a great saying put your needs on a shelf but that idea of you know when we're in this mode of righteousness, it's like, and, and this idea that, you know, we just want to be right and we just want to fix the other person or we just want to fix our child. So, if they would just do what we said, then everything would be okay. <laughs> but when we listen, we connect. And when we connect, we move somebody. And that's yeah. so true. Like, there's a power, there's such a healing power in listening. And that's just right. listening provides so much relief. And I, that's the step I think we skip so often Correct. with our children is just this idea of acknowledgement L- say you know he really i hear you i see you like really hearing them really seeing them really acknowledging what's going on for them and just that simple step can just you know like de-cre- you know d- you know decompress everything and really reduce all that tension and then we can connect and then we can move somebody and that's that's beautiful i love mm-hmm that you talked about, you know, self-care and that doing one thing at a time, but, but yes, yes, yes. When we listen, we connect and that listening is very, very powerful. It's great, great stuff. Um, wow. So I love that you're doing this work with dads. I think it's hugely, hugely powerful. And I, you know, I like that with this, the work that you're doing with this friend foundation, you know, I, I, I was checking out what you're doing and this idea and you mentioned it a little bit, you know, we talked obviously about mindset and we talked about relationships, but this idea of environment, like you said, you put yourself in the environment of people who help help you to step up to a greater place, you know, and in, in your work, you have create an environment of people who, you know, have these values and things like that. And, um, And I think that environment is kind of like, it's like, kind of like, you know, when we eat, we take in the nutriments of the food and we have to think about that the people and the conversations and the, even the, maybe the podcast or the media, the things that we take in, these are also things that we take in and nourish our ourselves in the same way. And you're kind of speaking to that. I think when you talk about this, this idea of, of environment, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. We, when we were trying to dissect what was happening for the book, we, we found those three focuses I shared earlier. And then we found that there were, there are three forces, sorry, there were three areas of focus then for people. So the three forces of hope, celebration, and living in the moment, and then the three the three pieces, the three factors that allowed them to play this out was relationships, mindset, and environment. Those were the three things. So big piece of it was who's in our front row and whose front row are we in, the relationships in our lives. Um, and we, we teach something about like knowing the eight most important people in your life and what are their dreams and how are you helping them to fulfill those dreams as being mm-hmm. one of the actionable things. Those eight people hang on the wall next to me at all times. And I always know what their dreams are. Mm-hmm. The second piece about mindset is just how we view any situation, right? And that's, that's your world. You're an expert in that space. And, um, we, we see it all the time that, listen, you could say wherever you go, there you are. Like if you have a crappy mindset and you're in an awesome environment, sometimes you bring toxicity to that place. Um, and you know, you can do that. You can take something toxic, pour it in a beautiful environment. It doesn't work, you know? So you do need to have the mindset piece. Um, and I think that's that's been explored a lot, and it's great. And you know, we have recipients that teach us about mindset all the time. I'll, I'll tell you one story that I think is so important on this topic. One of our recipients, Nikki, uh, just recently went to go see a Dallas Cowboys game. She was in her 30s, fighting uh, breast cancer. Beautiful person from South Jersey, uh, works at Rowan University, a school that raises money for Front Row Foundation as well. And she. Was in the limousine and I was with her, and she said, "Hey, we're about to go into a restaurant." She goes, "Hey, sometimes uh, people look at me when my, you know, my I'm losing my hair and it's, you know, it's turned a different color, and maybe I don't look as great as I normally do. People will look at me and they'll almost look at me with like a look of disgust." And she said, um, "And she said that, and my my heart kind of sank, and I kind of got sad." She said it, and I was like, "Oh, if I could ever get my hand on that person, you know," I was kind of angry. And then she said, immediately, and it makes me happy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was like the last thing I was expecting her to say. She goes, it makes me happy. And I said, all right, you got to tell me more. What, what do you mean? She goes, well, John, if, if, they're, if they're pissed or angry or disgusted or whatever at the way I look, that just means they have no context to my situation. They, they've, never, they've never been through this themselves. They've never known somebody they love that's been through this. So I'm happy that they don't, they've never had to experience what I have. Because if they had, they never would have felt that way. Wow. And it was that beautiful framing that reminded me that it's not the moment. It's how we mold the moment, make the moment, give the mm-hmm. moment meaning. And I rem- I'm reminded of that all the time. So it's mindset, right? It's how we view situations. And um, oh, can I share one more story with you and your audience that I think is really... <laughs> Yeah, that's is,
0: fine. I realize I kept, kept talked to you a little over time, but no, I'm, it's okay. I'm, I'm gonna give you. It. I'm gonna give you two. I'm
1: gonna give you two more, and then we can. All wrap. right, great. But so, so this is so fun, and then just knowing your audience, I gotta tell you this. So, I was with. You remember earlier, I was talking about Sophie, and the two people that took Sophie to the event was John and Mara Bergoff. Well, they're very close friends, and we were in Ohio. We were seeing fireworks with them. We had gone to the top of a parking garage, and I'll never forget even Mara turning to me and saying, "This is front row," because the fireworks were literally going off like almost above us it was amazing yes now that was a great idea up until the moment when you have to leave the parking garage where thousands of other cars who all parked in that parking garage to see the fireworks are all leaving at the same moment uh, and we're at the very top and we were sitting there in a van with five children under the age of five. It's 10 PM. <laughs> They're all melting down. They're all hungry. They all, right. Like, and you can, you know exactly what's going on. And then uh, right when the tent, we haven't moved for 30 minutes, not an inch. And, uh, and my, my buddy John said, you know, I could tell, he could tell the tension was building and he said, let's play a game. And I said, what game is that? He said, let's play a game. This would be worse if. (laughs) (laughs) And the minute that he said it, I started laughing. And then, uh, you know, somebody goes, I'll start. And they said, this would be worse if somebody had. Oh, no, what did they say? They said, this would be worse if we ran out of gas. And I, and everybody was like, yeah, that's right. We have a full tank of gas. It's a hundred degrees outside. It's July and we have gas and air conditioning. This is amazing, right? So that was like, we were all laughing. And then somebody says, hey, I think it was one of the kids. One of the kids might have said, this would be worse If somebody had gas (laughs) and, and we all busted out laughing and we're like, yes, it would because these windows are not going to go down so hot outside. So it was just like this moment where it was all tense. And then with one question, with one suggestion, things changed. We changed the mindset of everybody in that car. That's power. And, um, you know, anyway, so I had to mention that about mindset because I thought that was really funny, but then the third piece, and this is my final thought is about environment, like you said, and that's basically the point that, look, we, we become like our environments. We are, we, we are affected by our environment. You can have a positive attitude in the worst of environments, but let's face it. If you had a choice, you'd want to cultivate an empowering environment, you know, and, that's something that's very important. So even when my family moved to Austin, it was three things that were at the top of the list, culture, climate, community, those three things. And those all affected our environment. And since we moved, we actually had people say, Hey John, you know, even the problems that you have, like whatever, wherever you go, there you are, it's not going to solve your problems. And, uh, I've got news, uh, It did solve a lot of our problems. (laughs) I do think where you live is important. I do think that you have to ask what you value and then try to cultivate that environment for yourself and be bold and courageous in doing so. It was hard to move our family, hard to move away from some of my best friends, hard to, it was expensive to do it. Best decision we ever made. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, I'm, I'm so with you. I live in this funky little community where I actually know everybody's name and then we have Saturday night dinners and uh, it's this really interesting little place. I, I I get that completely. John, this has been fascinating. I mean, I could probably hang out and talk to you for a long time. You tell great stories and I really, really enjoy it. But I want people to check out your book, the read it with me, The Front Row Factor, Transforming Your Life with the Art of Moment Making. And where can people find you, uh, John, if they want to reach out?
1: Uh everything is at frontrowfactor.com. You can find stuff about the charity if you wanted to nominate somebody, if you wanted to donate, if you want to get the podcast, if you want to get anything, it's all at frontrowfactor.com. We'd love to connect with you. We have a Facebook community called the Front Row Family where you can join the conversation. Or you can just hit me up on Twitter and just say hello or tell me what you got from the show. I'm at John Roman, J-O-N-V-R-O-M-A-N. And, um, Hey, I want to tell you, this has been fantastic. And thank you. I'm true honor. These are all minutes and moments that we don't get back in our lives. And I'm grateful that we could share a few together today.
0: I love that. I, I love that. And I, I, you know, and I just want to tell the listener and John reminds his guests that on the podcast and I agree, like, you're right. Like these are minutes and moments we don't get back. And I, I want to thank you for the work that you do for, the children, you move my heart today in a really deep way. And I really appreciate that you're working with the, with kids and with dads and you're helping to create ripple effects that will shift generational patterns. And that's so, so valuable. So thank you. Thank you so much, John.
1: Mm, thank you. This is wonderful.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode. I love what John talked about, about, you know, living in the moment and the power of hope and the power of celebration. Uh, it just really, really moved me. So I hope it moved you as much as it moved me. If you have any questions, you can email me at hunter at mindfulmamamentor.com. That's mindfulmama, M A M A, mentor.com. And I hope that you will subscribe to the podcast, of course, and leave a rating. And I want to thank as well. I'm Talking about it, some people for some ratings, yay! So thank you to Miss Chrissy K for your five star review. Thank you to Michelle Warren for your five star review, and thank you so much for BMG one three four five six, your five star review. She she was really wrote some lovely things saying, "I've read so many parenting books and tried so hard over the last twenty two point two and a half years to learn how to raise my daughter, thinking it was solely based on her." How fascinating and eye-opening to realize that it's actually more about me. Amen. Yes, absolutely. So thank you so much for your kind words and the review. It really, really touches me deep in my heart. I really appreciate that. And if you would like to leave a review, it's a great way. On iTunes, we are just... We, I'd love to get to 100 reviews by 100 episodes, and we're at 82 right now. So if you are thinking of leaving a review, please, please do go do so. I would love that. I will shout you out. I'm so pleased and thankful every time you do. And I just want to, again, give you a quick reminder that my Mindful Mama Transformation Coaching Group is enrolling now. It's a six-week group coaching program, and it is at mindfulmamamentor.com slash Group coaching. And if you're interested in coaching with me one-on-one, we are onto our wait list, but you can, you know, lock in 2017 prices if you register for a clarity call now. And we'll get started early in 2018. So, and if you're in the future, hello, hello, future person. So cool to have you hearing me in the future. <laughs> now for have us connecting in the future. So thank you so much, as always, for listening. I really appreciate it and just continue to um, take care of yourself and come back to that pause so that you can create more peace in yourself and therefore create more peace in the world. Have a great week. Namaste. Namaste.